Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 67 today. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. I uh, hope everybody had a great 4th of July. Ryan, how was yours? Uh, it was really good, man. You know, I had, uh, a friend of mine from South Africa, the former COO of the Department of Energy come in and spend the weekend with us. And I was here, um, Monday and Tuesday and then took him home and then got back for the fourth, um, Wednesday and did a little fishing and, uh, just kind of hung out. Is that Moosey? Yeah. Yeah. Moosey came in and, you know, it was interesting. So, my birthday was July the 2nd, so that was Monday. So two years ago to the day, I was in Africa, and I caught a fish, a tiger fish, on the river between Zambia and Zimbabwe. So that makes me, Josh, in rare company because I'm one of probably, what, less than a percent of the world who's caught a fish on two continents. Not just two countries, two continents. So, you know, I'm in, I'm in rare class there alone. But what was funny <laughs> about it was is that when we were – so we went fishing Sunday night, which would have been July the 1st. But Africa time, it had already rolled over to July the 2nd. So two years to the day, Muzi caught his first fish ever on the same day I caught my fish in Africa. So that was kind of neat. Just, you kind of get you know some of these weird things that just kind of happen. And so that was fun. Uh, we went down to one little ponds here on the golf course. And, you know, you can about throw a, a hook in there and catch a fish. So we caught a bunch of little little bass and little brim and whatnot. And uh, had a good time, man. How about you guys? Uh, we, we had a pretty good time, you know, uh, my wife actually came down with a cold, so, uh, I was kind of stuck in the house taking care of, taking care of the kids when she was laid up in the bed, but, uh, we had some family actually come in town. They were shooting fireworks and so my kids got to watch it from afar, you know? Yeah. There was a firework ban over here, man. It's so dry. <laughs> you couldn't, <laughs> you can't shoot them. So they had like a 60 hour ban on them. And I don't know if it's up now. It should be up now, but not, uh, we get some rain, uh, so it should be up. But yeah, we had like a sixty-hour ban on fireworks over here. Wow. It's so dry. Yeah, it's crazy. That's great. Well, Ryan, you know, while we were uh, while we were celebrating yesterday, I think we got a review. Now it came in on the 29th, actually, from uh, TX Jake. Um, he gave us a five-star review, and then he gave us some written content. Uh, he, he said Ryan is a great host. The guests are knowledgeable and always bring something to the table one thing though i hate to embarrass uh, this is a smart guy that's a smart guy go ahead that's a smart guy you know uh well jake you don't spell josh (laughs) r-y-a-n i just i'm confused (laughs) (laughs) that's a smart guy that is a smart guy you know um I mean, we have the smartest listeners in the world, and, and that shows. It's funny. Jake actually sent me a um, a private message and said that uh, he's been listening to the show, and and uh, he really enjoys the content. He joined the Dallas YPE, so Dallas YPE, you know, be sure to take care of Jake over there. And uh, anyway, so Jake, really appreciate it, man, and uh, good luck on your energy quest as uh as we all know that this is a roller coaster game that we live in, but no, we do we do appreciate it, and I appreciate you specifically omitting Josh. Like that's that's you know you might get two entries into the raffle just for that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, Josh, the raffle next next week. So I will get the show out Monday. So as soon as you hear this show, um, 
if you want to be entered, you got to have a written review on iTunes. So by this show, this time next week, we will uh, reveal our winner of the $50 Visa. I say card. I don't know if we're actually do a physical card, mail link, or however we're going to get you the $50 uh, Visa gift card to you. Um, will be revealed on the show next Friday. So you have to have it in probably by Wednesday because, you know, it takes sometimes 24 hours for those to show up. And so uh, just make sure you get that in um, on iTunes. And we'll be happy to put your name in the drawing if you've already entered. As we said before, it has to be written content. We do not know. We have no idea who leaves the stars. We appreciate the stars. We love the stars. But we have to see written content because we can't. I don't know, iTunes doesn't give us some kind of background information on who's just putting the stars on there. So we'll, we'll announce the winner. And just so you guys know, full transparency, we don't know who you are unless we talk to you offline. So we'll just say whatever your iTunes username is, we'll just call that out. And you have to reach out to me, Ryan, at globalenergymedia.com to win because we don't have any way, again, of um, personally contacting you that, that I'm aware of at least. Um, Josh, we also need to thank our sponsor, which is Drilling Info. If you're in the business of oil and gas, land especially, here's a free $100 by going to globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse. That's globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse. Get your free $100 today. And finally, Josh, I just want to say this. I had planned on getting up today, um, watching the World Cup. I actually had it on earlier, but... um, because we talked about taking off this Friday, right? I didn't do another mm-hmm. podcast this week. I didn't have the oil and gas market recap. I didn't have energy week. And I wasn't going to have this one. And then, you know, we have Sergio coming on. So uh, we're here with bells on thanks to Sergio Chapa. So Sergio Chapa is the reason you're getting episode 67 this week. And uh, I'm not really sure if I'm happy or mad at Sergio at this point. Well, I think I think it'll be good in hindsight. But uh, it's definitely <laughs> not good today. <laughs> Thanks, Sergio. We we appreciate it. Well, right, you know we have uh, we've been wanting to follow up some news. I think two weeks ago we had an article that came out that talked about the pipelines reaching capacity in the Permian. They were starting to bottleneck, and uh, they this guy was anticipating that in the next three to four months we're going to see a huge slowdown in the in the Permian. A lot of these companies are going to start back out. Well, uh, this week, uh, July third. And fourth, ConocoPhillips, uh, some news came out that they are they're feeling the Permian pinch and they are starting to redirect toward Eagleford. Now, Ryan, you pointed out off the show earlier that about I guess six weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, uh, ConocoPhillips started pulling out of the Permian and started directing most of their attention to the Eagleford. So it appears that they had done the math uh, and, and knew some of the stuff we're looking at today ahead of time, and so they've already been preparing for this this moment for the last I'd say four four to six weeks what's uh what's unknown at this point is how long are they going to you know stay out of I say out of the permit how, how long are they going to be focused on the Eagleford is this going to be until pipelines are finished being built say into 2019 or is this something that they're going to maybe uh one or two quarters and be back in the Permian by the end of the year so that's the thing we don't know but they are definitely pulling out. So we see this company um, you know, dropping back on some of their drilling rod in the Permian. Yeah, and so if you go back to listen to, I think it's episode 60, we talked about that, Josh. One of the things we said was it, it, it maybe at the time it was just a business decision. You know, um, maybe their business strategy didn't match up with what was going on in the Permian. We, cause we talked about it before, you know, hey, um, you know, you might be really aggressive. You'll be in the permian. You might want to be slow, slow things down, and you might want to be, um, 
in the, you know, kind of like in the Eagle Ford or whatnot. And I think the thing that we didn't know at the time was that this was a play that they were seeing ahead of schedule. Um, they were kind of, like you said, they're doing the math. They're sitting there and they're figuring out, hey, you know, we want to go ahead and start shifting our um, our focus because we've received this pipeline problem. And as you mentioned, these companies have teams and teams of people. You know, these are huge companies that have the resources to figure out what they're, you know, they obviously know how much oil they're drilling and uh, gas they're drilling. And then they know, you know, how much pipeline capacity they have to feed into. And then they know they have an idea at least when the pipelines are going to come online. So they have the ability to run the numbers. And so a month or two ago, we thought, well, maybe it was just too aggressive. They wanted to kind of get something a little bit more slow pace. But now it looks like we were wrong potentially on that. Um, that could be a factor, but it seems that more, they, that was kind of a precursor to say, hey, you know what? We see this problem coming up, as you mentioned, and we're shifting focus. So it kind of changes the way we read that article, um, you know, seven episodes ago. I know it does, you know, because what we were talking about was maybe the cost involved with the Permian Center for so much activity that maybe there were just different costs from so much activity, you know, the demand being up for a lot of these products. So the prices are going up. Uh, that may have been the issue, but more than likely, this probably was the issue that they saw and they started, you know, preemptively moving some of their resources and allocating their time and, and energy to the, the for uh, because they knew that this was uh, an inevitable outcome that was going to be coming this year sometime. So right, um, and I think uh, important an important thing on this is is that you know I, like we're talking offline, kind of said online, but you know Pioneer just to kind of use them, they they sold all of their, and I don't know if they actually sold off all their assets or not. They're selling off all their assets. We know we keep talking about they sell this off, sell this off, but they're going all in on the Permian. So when Pioneer made that decision to go all in the Permian. They knew at this at that time that this was going to be a problem. So it wasn't like when Pioneer last year announced, "Hey, we're going all in the Permian." They knew that this could potentially be a problem, and they may they might have even known it was to be a problem. You know, I don't know when the companies actually figured out um, that the pipelines weren't going to be able to catch up at the speed. But um, but so so these companies, you know, they again they have the capacity. Now we knew on some level that this was a problem, but we just didn't know. You know, we don't we don't have the math. You know, we don't have the access to all this data. Um, I'm sure it's out there on you know for for purchase, but um, but we don't we don't just have that access. So anyways, so I'm saying that. You know, on the show, we talk about business and stuff like that a lot and how to review things. Um, it is going to slow down. But another thing to remember is that these companies are not sitting back going, what was me? I had no idea. You know, they, they knew this and they still went in on the Permian, which to me is a good sign about what they think about the long term prospects of the Permian. So Pioneer knowingly, and, and this is my opinion here, if I had to guess, knowingly sold all their assets or, or announced to sell all their assets at least and go all in the Permian knowing that there's probably going to be a pipeline shortage in 2018 that could impact the market. It could slow down production. It could cause all these other side of, uh, side problems. Um, and they still sold that. So to me, that's a pretty strong statement about what Pioneer thinks about the Permian. It doesn't mean they're right, of course, but it's still a strong statement. ConocoPhillips is sitting here saying, okay, you know what? We, we, we see that this is a problem for us. It's not going to be a problem for all the Permian producers, but but um, but you know we don't know which ones yet. But you know we, we see this going to be a problem. So we're going to go ahead and move rigs from the Permian to the Eagleford. Well, 
Now, if you look at Pioneer, they're selling off their other all their other assets, so they probably can't move the rigs anywhere else. I mean, they, they might be able to shift a few. I don't know, but but they're not gonna be like Conoco Phillips going, okay, you know what? We're gonna focus on Eagleford assets for the rest of the year, or we're gonna focus in um, the Balkan maybe for the rest of the year. They don't have that capacity, so each company is gonna handle this problem um, differently over the next six months, twelve months, eighteen months as as it kind of works itself out. So. We're going to see a lot of this. That's right. Well, you know, Ryan, we're, we're in good company. I think uh, here's a quote from Ryan Lamb. He's the CEO of ConocoPhillips. He said that uh, the second part of the question is saying that while the company saw the pipeline constraints coming, we didn't see it coming as maybe as hard and as fast as it came this year. So me and you, Ryan, we were aware that there were constraints with pipelines in the Permian. We just didn't realize that it was uh, it was. It was getting, it was coming so hard uh, this early in the year. That's kind of the thing that they didn't know and we didn't know. And uh, and that's why, you, you know, we looked at some of the articles coming out a couple of weeks ago or, you know, maybe even two months ago and just misread them because we didn't see this issue being so pressing. It was, it was, we were right at the door of uh, facing some pretty, pretty stiff, uh, stiff challenges for these companies that, that want to, you know, like the Pioneer, I, I don't know how Pioneer is going to, respond and react to this like you said surely they knew this was coming maybe they didn't know it was coming so hard and fast but I just wonder how they're going to react if they've allocated all their resources to the permian they don't really have anywhere else to go at this point uh i wonder how they're you know maybe they have some contracts or deals with uh, the existing pipelines that are in place that maybe they can um get through get through the the bottleneck yeah and, and the other thing is I, I i need to go back and read the pioneer quote but i don't think pioneer actually said if you read the quote uh, i don't think they actually said it pertains to them per se i think they said it's a problem so i need to go back and read that quote again because the headline was about pioneer talking about it so you kind of presume that um it was about them but i'm not 100 percent sure retroactively thinking about it um if pioneer actually said it's their problem so they may be fine but Conoco Phillips may have a problem, or you know, producer X might have a problem. But the other thing is, they can still drill the well, shut them in, and then flow them later on. So you're going to see some companies; they just have so much money tied up into it that that's what they're going to do. Go ahead and drill them, and then wait for a um, you know, shut them in, wait for a um, a pipeline to come along, hook it up, and then get on about their business. And you know, it's not just necessarily the small gathering lines we're talking about; it's the the large, big pipelines. I mean, the gathering lines. Are, are, are part of the problem, but you got to have these big, long transportation lines. But hey, regardless, like I think we talked about this before, Josh, this is still a good problem. It's not like we're looking at it going, you know what, um, the industry is slowing down because the prices are too low. The industry is saying that it can't keep up. So if you're, if I said before, if you're working for one of these companies and your part of the business is impacted, if you're an upstream, you know, you're upstream producers and, and they're slowing down for whatever reason, uh, for because they're not spare pipeline capacity, then look to see how you transition into the midstream business because there's going to be a lot of pipelines laid in the next two or three years, and then you know, presumably keep on going. But we know how that goes. You don't want to. You know, to guarantee something like that because, you know, prices can drop tomorrow. But, but, you know, if you just kind of look at what you think the market is, you'd say, okay, well, you probably need two years of steady pipeline business. So there you go. So if, if your portion of the business is slow, is there something you can do in midstream right now? Because there's going to be, a, um, we talk about demand for workers on the drilling side. The demand for labor and services will be high on the pipeline side too. All right. Well, special guest coming on today is Sir. Chapa. Sergio, it's been a long time since we had you on the show, man. Hope everything's been going well. Uh, how's your day going so far? That's no, going great, Josh. And yeah, it has been a long time. Too long, I'd say. Let's not do that again. <laughs> hey. Yeah, it seems it, like three or four months. It, it has been. And Sergio, it's been a while. 
we kind of give you a hard time. Two weeks ago, we said we were going to take off on the 6th. And then it's like, as soon as that podcast got released and out in the wild, you booked to come on the 6th. I mean, so, you know, we, we had, we had expected to watch the World Cup today to maybe have a nice adult beverage. And so uh, we're, we're glad to have you on, but you kind of felt like you were sticking to us a little bit here with this one. Oh, Ryan, that's because there's just so much going on in the world of oil and gas. You, you, there, you can't rest. You can't, you can't do it. Well, I know it. I you know lose it. lose and, and you lose on this game. I was really gotta, hoping, though. keep on it. I was really hoping we'd have Mexico in the World Cup. You know, they were, God, they played so good some of the group group stages. I was hoping they would get past, uh, past the first round there. But, uh, you know, Brazil's tough, so you can't really blame them. No, definitely, definitely. They had so much momentum well, after the election, it would have been great, but here we are. Sergio, you wrote an article, uh, I think earlier this week, about the Burgos Basin. They're looking for some uh, first look at some oil and gas leases in the area, and then Mexico's potential Eagleford Shale. Uh, what, what's kind of share with us about that this week? Right. Uh, so back in back on Memorial Day weekend, you know, I got an exclusive look at the. Uh, at the oil and gas leases in Mexico's Burgos Basin, um, it was a it was a it was a, a tour facilitated by the Texas Tamaulipas Trade Office. Now, all these these leases, most of them are in the um, <clears throat> in the state of Tamaulipas. You have under Mexico's energy reforms, they opened up two auctions, uh, what they call Ronda 3.2 and Ronda 3.3, which just translates to Round 3.2 and Round 3.3. And um, round 3.2 has 21 blocks, 1.4 million acres spread out between Nuevo Leon and Tamaulipas. And, and most people here from Texas know that Tamaulipas is at the state immediately to the south of Texas, you know, going from uh, Laredo to Brownsville. And so that's all Tamaulipas there. Um, and so, you know, they took us or they took me rather, they took me like, you know, 90 miles into the Mexican interior to look at these, these leases and, Tell you what, Josh, they're nothing but, uh, you know, sorghum fields and like, you know, you know, hilly ranches, you know, it's just ranch land and farmland. And and uh, there there has been some oil and gas development there, but they're hoping that that um, with these rock formations that 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 are present in Texas, they also, you know, continue on into the Mexican side, you know, um, the Rio Grande doesn't doesn't stop these geological formations. They continue on further south. And so they're hoping that these energy reforms will, will bring companies in to develop those resources that are present down there. You know, Sergio, um, gosh, it's been a while back, but one of the things that you pointed out, I thought was a very good point a while back was that when you look at these Mexican assets, um, um you, you kind of in a, it's kind of a catch twenty two because they have the assets, but they don't necessarily have the infrastructure, like in the Permian or in the Eagleford. You know, roads, gas stations, hotels. Um, in this area, is this is this area going to have those same type of problems, or do you see that there's potentially more infrastructure that a company, if they wanted to come in and drilling, they they could have access to, to you know to gas, diesel, food, lodging, things like that. No, definitely. Uh, no, that's definitely a good point, Ryan. Um, one of the points of the auctions is that whoever wins these auctions, they're very large blocks, very large geographic territories um, up for up for bid. Whoever wins them, they're going to have to, you know, bring their own water. They're going to have to bring build their own roads and infrastructure, pipeline, everything. They're going to have to do all of that in uh, in there. And so, you know, a lot of companies looking at this are are you know trying to 
do the math to see if it's, you know, if it's, if it's still a profitable venture. And, um, you know, I'll tell you what, so far in that Ronda 3.2, which is conventional uh, oil and gas drilling uh, between Tamaulipas and Nuevo León, um, mostly just flat farm fields, so with some dirt roads. So we have, so far, what I've seen is we have 13 companies, you know, and they're from, you know, countries like Mexico, Chile, Spain, Canada. They've all uh, filed as, you know, to qualify to look at the data room. And then you distill that down after that. There's 10 companies that have that are they're they're pre-qualified, you know, to to bid on these. And um, you know, there, there's a lot of a um, uh, interest in that one. Now, Ronda 3.3, which is the unconventional, which will be like the first wide-scale hydraulic fracturing in Mexico, and that's where you're talking about Ryan, where you need those service companies, the chemicals, the the water, the frac sand. Um, there's, there's, there's actually much less interest in that. There's only been three companies that, that, um, that, that, that showed interest. And of those only Pemex paid to access the data room and then moved on to the other stages of the, of the auction. So right now they're the only person in that auction is Pemex. Okay. So let me make sure I understood that for the conventional type drilling, there is better infrastructure in place for the unconventional type drilling. There's not a lot of infrastructure and um, not a lot of interest from companies to drill that either. Is that, is that what I heard you say? Uh, the terrain's flatter on uh, the land where for the conventional one, so oh, okay. it's just I easier. I, I see, I and it's closer to the border. It's also closer to the American border, too. So I think that that's, that's why one reason you're seeing more okay. interest there. Um, and it's closer to, to a port. So, yeah. Right. One of the things we talked about on my other show, uh, Energy Week, is that with the Mexican elections, the, I guess he, the, the now president, I don't know when they actually make the official turnover, but um, president-elect at least, you know, was talking president about... President-elect. Okay, president-elect. Okay, so he was talking about um, rolling back a lot of the Mexican energy reforms. And, you know, for us, it was kind of a sad thing because we felt like if he, if he won and he actually went forward with this, it could really hurt the Mexican people there. We felt like this was a way to create jobs. Um, a lot of American companies would come down there and invest. I know of one personally, a very small company, but a company, a company that would, um, that would actually, you know, it has an office down there. Um, what are, what are we seeing with these? Is, is he going to roll back the reforms? And what has the response been from outside countries? Okay, right. So um, there was a very important statement made yesterday by the head of uh, the president-elect's um, transition team. And it's that, that we are going to leave energy reform alone. Um, they, what thing they are going to do, however, they, that he clarified is that, that – uh, is that they are going to scrutinize the contracts that have been already issued. They're going to check it for signs of corruption. You know, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, the president-elect of Mexico, he ran on sort of this Mexico first campaign, and he ran on this sort of uh, uh, anti-corruption platform. And so, you know, he wants to go back and make sure that there was no graft, no corruption in these previous contracts that are awarded. And if they're not, they're cleared. And if, and if there was instances, they'll sort them out. And they're, 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 you know, Mexico knows that their production, you know, has been sagging for years on oil and natural gas, and they need those resources. Um, you, I think you'll see what, what, what the new president will do. I think you'll see that he'll try to get that production back up, you know, domestically, um, but at the same time, honor these contracts with these foreign companies. 
Uh, many people, you know, and I've, I've, I've talked to experts about this. Many people feel that like they're not going to issue new auctions. So the auctions that were issued, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's it. That could be it, you know, for, for these energy reforms. Um, that's why the, this one in the Burgos Basin, that Ronda 3.3, the, the unconventionals, the shale, the hydraulic fracturing ones, that's why it was so important. That's why they wanted to get it out before the elections, and they did. Now, ideally, they, had, they originally wanted to have them awarded and done and completed before, you know, the elections, you know, earlier this month. But, you know, that didn't happen. But, uh, but you know, they'll still be uh, honored, you know, once they're awarded in September or October. And so one quick follow-up, and then we'll move on to the next piece. Um, I believe it was Shale um, bought some offshore blocks from Mexico. So is this going to be, when you talk about not no more auctions uh, for the blocks and stuff like that, will this pertain to stuff like we see these offshore blocks as well, or is this mainly onshore we're talking about? No, it's both. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, I okay. mean, so both those contracts, there, there have been three rounds of, uh, of you know, energy reform-related auctions, you know, right. uh, one, two, and three, and then they had three little subsets each. And, you know, there's one for shallow waters, there's one for deep waters, there was one for, you know, there's been a bunch of mature fields and, you know, new new onshore, and now these, you know, hydraulic fracturing shale unconventionals. Um, Shell actually bought one near the U.S.-Mexico border um, in what's called the Tryon field, and... Um, and it's like, uh, I'd say about 50, 60 miles east of, of the mouth of the Rio Grande, kind of southeast of that on the Mexican side of the, of the waters. And, um, and so, you know, one of the things that the Tamaulipas state government has done to, to you know, to, to help that development, they've, they've developed what's called the Port of Matamoros. And it's, you know, it's across from Brownsville, just about, you know, 30, 40 minutes south of the International Bridge. And, um it's a, it's going to be like a logistics hub and a, you know, service hub for these offshore developments, you know, where they'll bring in things like pipe and fuel and, you know, supplies for these offshore rigs that they plan to develop out there. So those, it looks like based on what we know so far and based on the, on the statements made by the president elect's team, you know, those contracts will, will continue. Well, Sergio, there was another article uh, that came out. A San Antonio oil company leads a new play in the poor man Permian. Um, interesting stuff that you discussed there. Um, what's what's uh, this oil company? I mean, what's their what's their main objective here? Just to get into you know, getting into some cheaper opportunities, or does it have anything to do with the pipeline capacities in the Permian that they're trying to avoid that, or? No, no, no. This is a story that I love because, uh, you know, my weekly coverage of the, the, the drilling permit roundup. Every Monday we do these, these roundups of drilling permits here in South Texas. But, you know, one thing that always caught my attention were these permits I'd see in Edwards County. And that's, that's, that's kind of like an area in the hill country between San Antonio and Del Rio. And I was like, what are they doing out there? You know, what, what, why would anyone file drilling permits for oil and gas out there? And um, another thing that caught my eyes is that these wells were only 500, 600, 700, you know, to 1,000 feet deep. That was the, the total depth of these projects. So it was, I was like, man, there's some, there's some interesting going on out there. And then, you know, um, what, I, what I discovered when I started reaching out to the companies there is that there's, there's actually a, a vast oil field out there 
in the hill country. It's called the the turning field, and you know people have known about it. Have, they've known about it since the 1930s. But the the problem, and it's an interesting, you know, kind of like geological problem. Is it is it um, is it you know because the oil's so close to the surface, it flows so slowly, and it's a heavy crude. I think it's something like 18 or 19 API. And, um, and so it only flows to the surface when you drill a well, it's at a rate of, uh, of like, you know, half a barrel a day or, you know, something like that. It's hard to get rich off, uh, mm. off, uh, off, off something like that. So, you know, we, uh, one thing that I've done is, uh, you know, I pulled the permits for it for the you know past year and a half. And we've got, you know, like 26 permits from about, you know, nearly, 10 companies, you know, and, and what, what's going on right now, you don't see wide scale development out there. Um, but, but what you do see is all these companies are, they're, they're, they're testing different stimulation techniques out there. And this is what I love about the, the, the oil and gas industry, especially here in Texas, there's so much science and engineering that goes into so much problem solving, you know, so the problem here in this, this, this geography, this geology um, this region is that, you know, because it's so close to the surface, you know, the pressure is so low that, you know, the oil won't flow. So they got to figure out how, how do I, you know, stimulate the well and get that increased pressure. So, you know, all these companies have tried a variety of techniques. They've tried like, you know, you know, using steam or what they call thermal energy oil recovery. So they're injecting steam into the rock formation, you know, increasing the pressure in there. And, uh, to get more oil out. And right now, you know, it's mostly experimental, but you know, and it, it's kind of like, a, I guess if you want to call it a space race between these companies, trying these variety of techniques, some of them are using like liquid oxygen, others are, um, you know, u- using steam and others are, you know, um, doing all types of things, injecting water and natural gas, you know, and igniting it under underground, trying to just get this oil that's this massive amount of oil that's there to flow faster to the surface. And it's, it's, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. It's an interesting play. And if someone could figure it out, um, the payout would be huge because like, you know, you can drill, you know, complete and log and, you know, and, you know, finish an oil well there for $60,000 in less than 24 hours time because it's that close to the surface. So the person who figures this out, you know, how to, how to do this. It's, it's going to be in a very could It could end up being a very lucrative play. Whoever figures it out first. If you do figure it out, Ryan at global I'd love to partner with you on that deal. Just want to get that out there in the open right now. Um, cause Sergio, I, I was excited, but, um, you said poor man's Permian, but it sounds like it's the hard man's Permian. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. It's poor, but it sounds like, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying on some level, but it's not as easy as it's not as easy as you 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 know the drilling the Permian is actually easier but more expensive, and this is cheaper but harder almost. It sounds like. Right, right. Um, it, it, you know, I mean, for the cost of one Permian well, you could drill a hundred of these wells. You know, right. And if you just left them alone at their own natural state, they'd only produce you know half barrel a barrel of oil a day. But right. But if you could. You know, I mean, but if you could figure out like the the secret sauce to 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 like reverse to doing this, almost. it could pay off, <laughs> right? Right. 
And, um, you know, one company in particular that, that was featured in, in, in the story that I did, uh, P&P Operating Company, they're based here in San Antonio. What they're doing, they're actually the largest, you know, leaseholder in that, in that region, something like 22,000 acres. And, you know, they're using, they're, they're working on a, on a natural gas pipeline deal. There are gas wells in the area. And um, so what they're doing, and I've seen these pipelines, they're above ground. Like they look more like, you know, garden hoses, <laughs> uh, but you know, that's all they need. They don't need high pressure gas. The low pressure natural gas is good enough to, to boil water and just inject the steam. And, and um, you know, I mean, natural gas in that area is, is so cheap. So they could, they could just, you know, pipeline it in and, and then use it and, uh, so far it's been promising, excuse me. So far it's been promising, but you know, still just just waiting to see how this plays out though. So I'm just curious, since you published this article, has there been a lot of um people wanting to go and make a run on minerals out there, buying up leases, or are companies still going, you know, it's just you know, we're still too far away from a technology standpoint to kind of uh, figure out how to do this. Cause I could see both sides of it from an oil and gas company standpoint, you know, you got a lot of cash right now, prices are high, but but you also might go, well, buying these, these assets and trying to figure something out when we can go to a more proven area like the Eagle Ford, like the Balkan, like the Permian, um, might not be opportunistic, but you could buy these assets, hold them, and then when, you know, prices go back down, here's a chance to go in there and figure that thing out and make good money on a, on a you know, on a lower barrel price, like $40, $30 a barrel. So I'd say in uh, Edwards County and neighboring Val Verde County, they've largely been bought out, um, okay. you know, of the available land. Uh, there might be some opportunities in, uh, in uh, I think it's Kinney County to the north um, still, but it hasn't really been proven or explored. Um, I haven't seen much there. The, you know, the latest, let me see, out of these 10 companies, you got PMP Operating Company, you got Mortimer, Produ- Mortimer Production Company, Accord, GR Energy. American Resources, Texas Secondary Oil, Rio Tex, Forza. The newest one, though, that I've seen come into the play is uh, Rock Ridge Exploration Production from Houston. So that, that's really, they're the they're the latest newcomer, and they they came in there earlier this year. Um, they, they were they they came in there I think uh, before the article came out. So, um, but largely all the land there is pretty much spoken for. Um, and so now what it is is just everybody's out there trying to science and engineer to get a cost-effective solution to this, this problem, you know? Well, Sergio, I think uh, there's one last piece you uh, you did earlier uh, about Corpus Christi, Chenier. Uh, there's a Corpus LNG terminal's first exports may ship sooner than expected. So tell me, we're making progress over there, man. We've been covering that for, for some time. They've been doing all kinds of work or trying to get work done uh, there at the port. All right. Now this is this is an, an announcement that came um, from the that, that first came out during the Eagle Ford Consortium Regional Conference in Pleasanton. Uh, for uh, for those of your readers who don't know, the Eagle Ford Consortium is this uh, you know kind of coalition of you know oil and gas companies and then city and county leaders from across the whole region and and they they spread out these they do these regional conferences once per quarter and they do an annual conference in San Antonio. Um, so. Uh, and during that one, one of the uh, executives with Chenier made an announcement that uh, that uh, that things are going great for construction there, and that uh, the their first shipment, their first export, could take place by the end of the year. And that that perked up a lot of 
people's ears because, you know, earlier estimates had put, you know, the completion and, you know, the first export in 2019. So this moves things up, you know, very significantly. Um, and it's been clear in the, in the progress reports that the companies filed with federal regulators that, you know, that they've made substantial progress with train one. Um, they're building three, three trains there at uh, Corpus Christi LNG and um, train one, they just started. Um, I, the FERC just issued a, an order uh, yesterday morning, giving Chenier permission to start flowing natural gas. So now they can start testing you know, their equipment on train one and begin the commissioning process. So, I mean, it looks like, like that, that, um, that statement about the first export being sent out by the end of the year looks at, looks like that's very much so going to happen. Yeah. And Chenier, correct me if I'm wrong, they sent out the first one from Louisiana. What was that a month or two ago over to India? Um, so, so they've already kind of got this process going in the Louisiana side of things. We just need to kind of bring it over here to Texas now. No, definitely. I mean, I think Chenier's, they sent out, uh, they sent out exports to, I think around 30 countries, but definitely more than two dozen countries around the world since their first export. I think it was in February, uh, 2016 in in Louisiana, but, uh, this will be the first actual LNG export from the state of Texas. So it's a lot of people are paying attention to what's going on there in Corpus Christi right now. Right. No, no, no. I'm talking about, didn't they, aren't they shipping LNG from their, their Louisiana port though? And did that just start uh, two months ago or something like that? Is that? Or, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, they've done yeah. more than 300 cargoes to 25 nations from being past LNG. So, okay. okay. And they've even, interestingly enough, <laughs> you know, the India is a customer and, you know, China, but interesting left, even Middle Eastern nations like Egypt and Dubai have been customers, you know, because they have, <laughs> they needed natural gas for, you know, power plants and for households and things. So right. <laughs> Texas or the, it's Texas based company is exporting gas to the Mideast. That's uh, right. that's something uh, interesting irony there. Yeah. It made big headlines when they shipped their stuff to India back in, I think it was March, you know, everyone was kind of fascinated by that. And it's funny when you've kind of followed the geopolitics since then, you know, um, India's saying they're not going to back the U S on, on their Iranian sanctions and you have all this kind of stuff going on. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how this shakes out, but you got to tell us, Sergio, what is the status of the port of Corpus Christi? Because, you know, we read these headlines and we don't follow it nearly as close as you do. Where are we at on July 6th today? What What's going on with the funding and the dredging and the widening? Because um, sometimes you read these reports, it's like, okay, something got approved. And then two weeks later, something else gets approved. And you're like, wait, hold on. I'm not sure what it exactly is getting approved and where the funding is. So can you get us up to speed on that? No, right. Um, definitely. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on there. They're trying to, of course, you know, they're, they're uh, building a new harbor bridge to allow, you know, bigger ships into the port. They're deepening and widening the channel to allow these, like, you know, Suez Max tankers, two at a time, one coming, one going um, into the channel. And then, um, then three, they're building a, a, um, crude oil export terminal, a v, uh, I think a VLCC class tanker export terminal at what they call Harbor Island. Um, all this is going on at the same time. Now we did get some news of some, so, you know, the feds are, are, uh, likely to, or the feds are going to add more funding to their, to their side of the, um, of the ship channel, um, project 
And then, you know, Corpus, the Port of Corpus Christi also announced that it was putting together, you know, financing for that project as well. Um, definitely uh, taking leadership on that. And then construction has already started for the, um, for the Harbor Island Bridge. Uh, that project's moving forward as well. So all, all three positive signs there in, um, in Corpus Christi. Well, good deal. Well, I would ask you for a capital oil and gas update, but we actually covered a capital a capital oil and gas update. What was that Josh two weeks ago with uh, Venado, Vernardo, whoever it was? They, uh, they yeah, they acquired some capital oil and gas. It we covered it a while back, but it came back up on uh, on a on a piece we talked about. So we're not going to ask you, Sergio. We're going to let you off the hook this week with the capital oil and gas update. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I think I saw my editor trying to wave me in anyway. <laughs> 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 Sergio, it was so good to get you back on and uh, best in the business for all things Eagleford Energy in that area. It's always good to talk to you. And, you know, I always give reporters a hard time, but you are the ones that I actually do trust and follow. So I do appreciate all the stuff that you do. And uh, it is good to get you back on. Really, it is. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you. Well, appreciate it, Sergio. Well, I want to say thank you again to Sergio Chapa coming on the show today uh as always he has some great information to share with us and uh, we're going to wrap things up we'll look at the texas roundup a couple things came out this week ryan uh first one there's a small company uh permex petroleum completes acquisition of odc san andres and taylor property in gaines county texas it's a small company small acquisition nothing big here but if uh, if you're in the area there there's probably going to be some opportunities around this uh this smaller Permex Petroleum. Uh, Ryan Venado, um, still don't know if I'm saying that right, Venado Oil and Gas, Ryan, but uh, they are acquiring some Eagleford assets in South Texas from an undisclosed buyer. Uh, they, I believe, are buying some acreage out of Carnes County, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's going to be 23,000 net acres, and uh, they've been, I think they've been one of the companies, kind of like ConocoPhillips, that have been focusing on developing some Eagleford assets and, and trying to focus on that shale play rather than you know, rather than the Permian. And uh, Ryan, the last one is Sumitomo Corporation. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sumitomo Corporation, Ryan. They have a pretty large company. They have a lot of stuff based out of Japan, but they have, they're acquiring some uh, property from a Dallas-based company in Carnes County. You know, maybe it wasn't Carnes County in the last article run. Uh, this asset in Carnes is 624 acres, uh, and it doesn't say it's undisclosed price. They don't say what they're paying for it, but they're definitely uh, making some moves and trying to develop some some assets there in Carnes County. Yeah, and just for just a quick clarify on that, Josh, it is Summa, how you say that, Summa Tumo, but Summit Discovery Resources 2 LLC is the subsidiary who I believe will actually be doing the operations and stuff like that. So mm. um, if you're looking for to follow up on that lead that Josh just gave you, that would be the best way to do it. Uh, and Josh, we have the... Um, the clay shoot coming up here in just a few weeks over at the over in Decatur for the Desk and Derrick Club of Fort Worth. That is on July 20th, that Friday. So be sure to reach out to Landon Morgan at the Desk and Derrick Club in Fort Worth, or you can email me, Ryan, at globalenergymedia.com. We'll be happy to get you in touch with Landon um, for that event. Josh, other than that, um, I think that's about it, man. You know, people need to go buy. Well, we got the, uh, we got oh, the recount. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, to, go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're at one, let's see, one, 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 three. So we're up one rig last week, Ryan. So uh, other than that, that I think that is, uh, I think that's all okay. we got. Yep. Glad you caught the rig count up a rig for the week. So we'll see how that progresses with all these news of um, people slowing down, see if that actually impacts the market or not. Anyways, Josh, it was good to get back on. Sergio, you know, Sergio made us work today. So I'm going to get back to watching a little, bit of, a little bit of World Cup. And to the listeners, we'll talk to you next week. And until then, keep climbing. Mm-hmm.